Hello and welcome to Think About Eurovision. Today I'll be sharing a few extracts I had from a chat with my co-host Kim when we got to know each other over Zoom. Now, the reason we had a getting to know you Eurovision, I couldn't help myself, sorry, chat is because when I had the idea of doing a podcast all about Eurovision with somebody who knew nothing about the contest, I looked through my friends list on Facebook and when I was looking through it, I was thinking, well, they even know about the contest or they're massive fans of the contest. So basically, for the purposes of this show, my friends are useless to me. Absolutely useless. I do love them all dearly, but no use for this. So with that in mind, let's see what Kim already knew about the contest. No, I could tell you that Eurovision was a singing competition, probably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I don't even know if I could, actually. But I think I think a peripherally I was familiar with the fact that it existed as a singing competition. Yeah. And that is all. That's fair. Our conversation moved on to the history of the show. And I also told Kim about my earliest memories of Eurovision. Now, before anybody asks me on Twitter, yeah, I got the first year of the contest wrong. And no, it's 1956. This is what happens when you have an unplanned chat and you don't have notes to hand. People from the UK, they all have, like, a preconceived idea about the contest. And... Their preconceptions sort of lie from the contest from like the nineteen seventies and eighties. Um, Has it been going? It's been going on that long. Nineteen fifty-seven. Come on, sixty-fifth no <laughs> would have been the sixty-fifth anniversary this year, if my maths is right. I know next year is definitely the sixty-fifth contest. So for me, that that would have been the sixty-fifth anniversary this year. I'm really bad at wow. maths. <laughs> No fair. I mean, like, I'm trusting you because I have no idea. I'm not checking your work. Don't worry. <laughs> but yeah, it's been going for ages. Um, like, and I remember watching it like as a little kid. Um, like my first memory, I think. I mean, say little. My first real sort of memory is 1996. One of the songs from there. Um, so I've it really goes back to me. So I would have been nine in 1996, eight or nine. Wow. So, yeah, I've been so you've like since grown then. up with it. Yeah. Crazy. Unavoidably, our chat turned to the 2020 COVID-19 pandemic and the impact it had on this year's contest. They had already selected songs. They had been like all, months in the competition. All, and then all it was the songs canceled. for this year had been selected before the cancellation. Oh, no. And there's some great ones that, um, again, I think it would definitely be an episode to discuss the 2020 and contest d- that never was. So does that all go in the garbage or can they use the they songs again next year? They can't reuse them, no. Because oh, no. the rules state that the, the song mustn't have been released um, until... Uh, 
before November, I think, the year before. Mm. I think it has to be released after November. I'll have to check on that. I could be wrong. <clears throat> yeah, once again, I was wrong. It's September the year before. Interesting. Yeah. This sounds fun. But a lot of countries are sending back their artists. The same artists? Yeah. Kim asked me about politics in Eurovision and also the Big Five rule. And oh boy, do I have opinions on that that I couldn't wait to share with her. So is there a lot of like politics in the voting and stuff? That's one of the, I think that is, a there was, I think there's less now. But again, this is one of the preconceptions that a lot of British people have, that it's all political and that's why we don't win. The reason the oh. UK don't win, we don't send good songs. I mean, that a, would do it. And when it's a popularity contest and people are voting for their favourite song, you can't be everyone's seventh favourite song. And There's a lot to this. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, um, the UK, um, Spain, Germany, France and Italy, they don't compete in the semifinals. But in the film, they were showed as competing in the semifinal. Like they never compete in the semifinals? No, part of the big five. So the five biggest financial contributors to the competition, they get an automatic pass to the final. Wow. Which is one of the reasons I don't think we do very well. Because we've not had a chance to be... Our song hasn't been heard until the actual night. Whereas the semi-finalists who get through to the final, they've already had their song heard by not as many people, but still a lot of people. I mean, as someone who has learned about this competition in the past 20 minutes, (laughs) (laughs) I have to say I take issue with the fact that they just get fast-tracked to the finals. That doesn't seem... That doesn't seem fair because w- they contribute more money. Yeah, I I would rather we didn't have that rule because I think I want the UK to win one day. Of course, in my lifetime, mm-hmm. I hope to see it. <laughs> so, um, and I think we would have a better chance if we had to go through all the same hoops as everybody else. Yeah. Wait. Okay. So you the UK does get fast tracked to the end. But you're thinking that's a detriment because the song doesn't get heard as much. Exactly. Oh, and see, I was thinking that it's like, you know, kind of an unfair advantage because you don't have to go through an extra layer of judging. But yeah, I guess you could argue either way. Yeah, I think I think it would push us to try harder. Mm-hmm. I think the fact that we're already in the final, we're, I think we just get lazy in the UK. Right. So it's like, yeah, we'll just send any old crap song. And we have sent some crap songs. Um, that's interesting so like okay so Chris how do you think in our first main episode we will be talking more in depth about the 2020 Netflix movie the Eurovision Song Contest the story of Fire Saga that title is a mouthful take me numerous takes to get this out Uh, we'll be talking about it more in depth but we did touch on it in our chat and I had to share this part of our conversation. Right. 
Like, so I read that um, I always read IMDb trivia uh, after every movie that I watch. And so I read that Will Ferrell's wife is Swedish, I think. And so that's how he was introduced to Eurovision. So he had never heard of it prior to being, you know, exposed to it through his wife, I guess. And then like, and now he's this avid fan. So this was not a coincidence that he did a movie on Eurovision. What I think was quite funny is, all the interviews I've watched about Will Ferrell, where he's been speaking about the film, he's been saying, so my wife's Swedish. We were visiting family in Sweden in 1999, I think, was it? Yeah, so it was 99, he went there. And his wife's family just casually said, oh, shall we put Eurovision on? I'm calling bullshit on that. Everyone in Sweden, they make an appointment to watch Eurovision. <laughs> Right. He was never, oh, there's nothing on TV. I know. Oh, yes. what you watch. Oh, oh look at the Eurovision. time. Maybe, we, maybe we'll put on some Eurovision. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, they suckered him into it. <laughs> and now 20 years later, he is like deep, yeah. deep in. Because he's been to the last couple of um, actual Eurovisions as well. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, so some of the actual scenes from the film were filmed last year, Eurovision. Oh, that's too funny. I didn't realize that. Yes, the the staging that we use is the actual stage from last year's contest. Oh, I see. I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. I hope you've enjoyed this teaser podcast. It's just a short one, so you get to know us a little bit before the first main episode, where we'll be talking about the Netflix Eurovision film. Now, if you have any opinions about the story of Fire Saga, or any questions you would like either of us to answer... We'd love to hear from you. Please leave us a voicemail at speakpipe.com forward slash think about Eurovision. Links to anything we've spoken about will be in the show notes. Finally, you may have picked up on that Kim is Canadian, and I'd like to leave you with one of my favourite moments from our chat. See you next time. I forgot to tell you something as well. Oh no. Canada's biggest pop star. Uh I mean Who do you think Justin Canada's- Bieber? <laughs> <laughs> no. I mean, okay. Canada's so biggest it depends on great what- pop star. Okay. Celine Dion. Yes. She won Eurovision. Oh you're kidding. I had no idea. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like- pour moi. I did not, I did not know what you meant by pop star, but like clearly Celine Dion is yeah. the bigger Canadian icon than so, Justin Bieber.